HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. We have a very special show, a very personal show for me today here at In the Drink. Um, but before we get started, if you like listening to In the Drink, um, you can always tune in live Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. We film live here at Roberta's in the uh, in the shipping container, um, and uh, you can also always subscribe via iTunes, and you'll get uh, a weekly in the drink uploaded uh, to your podcast every week. So, uh, hope that you are tuning in. Um, and when I'm not hosting in the drink, you can always find me at one of our restaurants, Delanima, Lartuzzi, La Picho Aranfora. Um, and here to announce that this summer uh, I will be heading up Alta Linea one more time. Um, you heard it first here, actually. Um, I'll be doing this uh, again at the Highline Hotel in Chelsea. Um, last summer we uh, we had frozen Negronis. Those will make their return um, with another exciting frozen drink that uh, is based on an Italian cocktail that I'm really really excited about. We're teaming up with Kelvin for those Kelvin Slush. They're awesome awesome partner. Anyway, I hope to see you there. Our season's going to start in May and uh, we'll go until about October. All right. As I said at the uh, at the start, uh, we have an exciting and really a personal show uh, for uh, for me today. This is someone I've known in the industry, uh, one of the people I've known for the longest, uh, one of the people I think the most highly of, um, both uh, her skill, her passion, her work ethic, talent, 
and uh, just overall one of the nicest, most awesome people to be around. Uh, we have Lauren Feldman in the studio today. Lauren opened up uh, Delanima, Lartuzzi, and Anfora with us before moving to uh, back to California, where she's actually from, from wine country. Worked with Scribe Winery for several years. Uh, launched a hospitality program there, something really progressive and that, that I think a lot of wineries could kind of learn from that model and, and certainly have since then. Uh, moved over to Nashville to open up Husk and then moved back to California. Uh, Husk with uh, you know uh, one of the greatest chefs uh, of the South. Really cool program down there. And moved back to California and now is working with multiple restaurants, consulting um, on, on wine lists, uh, including the James Beard-nominated Best New Restaurant, Kala, which is super exciting, and uh, and also working with some wineries. I, I, I'm sure I missed plenty of stuff, but you're like so talented. You've had such cool experiences. I'm really excited to have you in the studio, Lauren. Thank you. Did I mess anything up there? No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little overwhelmed right now. That was awesome. Your your experience is uh, is so diverse. Obviously, we got to know each other at at Delanima uh, back in those days. Um, the good old days. We were. Uh, you're still young, but we were both so young. No, we there. were both so young. It was so fun. I kind of can't believe that that was a reality back. Kind of. God, was that before the recession? It was like the year before the recession. It was. It was 2007. It was crazy. It was a crazy time to be in the restaurant scene, for sure. That's right. We, we just opened. We knew little of what we were doing. <laughs> and yeah. people were drinking really nice wines Oh, at my time. God. It was pretty incredible. We put it on the list, and then you could sell it. I could sell it. Mm -hmm. It was just insane. And we could try it. We were able to taste so many things then. I don't know. I definitely have very fond memories of our time there. Uh, well, thank you for saying that. I, <laughs> I remember we had a conversation um, a few years ago where uh, I think it was sort of towards your, the end of your tenure with, with us, and we had done some steps to kind of make it more of a professional company. Um, we had built like a management company, and we we're putting all these processes in place, and Things were happening efficiently, mm -hmm. and you had said something to me that uh, was along the lines of you kind of missed the early days when things kind of went more like by the seat of our pants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> with more perspective, do you still feel that way? And um, what <laughs> totally. I mean, I think that I think that there's something really special to. I always love like opening things, opening restaurants. Uh, being a part of opening Scribe was really special too. But you know, things. Things change. Things have to change. And uh, I will look back on those times with a lot of fondness. But I also think that, like, it's pretty incredible what's been built now and uh, better, I'm sure, like for the best. But it's, uh, I don't know. What yeah. what is it that you like about openings, right? So you did we did we did three openings together. You opened Scribe. I think Husk was part of an opening. Mm -hmm. um, California was part of the opening at Kala. Kala, oh. we opened that. Yeah. Are um, you a masochist? Like, it, it, it is like a <laughs> stressful, stressful time. Super stressful. I think I like that. I mean, um, I do think I have a you know I'm I'm pretty proud of my work ethic. It's something that I always. You know, Kevin Gary actually, I think, really taught me a lot about work ethic too back at Lartuzzi. But um, I think that in opening restaurants, you have a part, you, you, you create this family, right? And I think that that's what's so special. And that's what I missed about, you know, 
things changing at Delano. I mean, it was such a family. But at Kala, we have that too. Uh, at Husk, we had that as well. Yeah, I think it's just like a super special time to to, ev- to have everyone be a part of um, the growth of something, making it into what, what whatever you want it to be. Even if you're you know just a server, I always hate when people say that just a server. And, yeah, um, I, I think that the, that's kind of it's that's kind of going away, right? That's that's really elevated, and I think there's a lot of pride in and being a great server i hope so i it was always like the most insulting thing that people ever said to me when i was a server it was and it was you know i think delanum was last time that i was a server but it was you know when people were like so like what do you what do you do and you're like i do this and it's really hard and i'm really good at it and i want to be proud of that and it's just like always pissed me off yeah I remember my time at Babo, uh, I was so new in the industry and there were servers who were there for 10 years. I mean, maybe not 10 years at that point, but who had worked in the industry for certainly that amount of time and were so good at what they did. Mm-hmm. So much better than I was. But because I had a jacket on, I got respect. And they right. Did. It's BS. It's such a cultural thing, too. I mean, I talked to Gabriela Camara, who's the, the chef owner of Kala, and she has servers that work for her. She has four restaurants down in, I think, four. I hope I'm saying that right. Down in Mexico City. She's a legend. And she's super young. She's amazing. But she has servers that work for her, have worked for her for, you know, decades. And it's, like, pretty insane. And they they have so much respect for themselves and their job. And I, like in Italy, the, the culture there is the same way. So I don't know. I don't know what it is about the culture here, but I hope it can change. I hope people can find find their pride in it. And like you said, I think it is kind of changing. I think it's changing. You yeah. can like actually make a career and a life, and it's a profession mm-hmm. more so. I think we still have a long way to go in terms of uh, restaurants offering benefits and uh, and longevity and retirement plans and that sort of thing uh, that totally. you can actually do it. But in terms of, I don't know, a cultural thing and a perception, I th- I think when you have someone who is great at what they do, whether you're like a lawyer or in finance or whatever, an artist, and you see like a someone else who is equally as great at what they do, mm-hmm. if you're a good person, then you respect that and you understand it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that and that's sure. always what's cool, you know, and you have those great uh, interactions. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Kala. <laughs> Kala. Kala is amazing. Kala is like a super unique kind of transportive restaurant i guess it's one of the things that i had guests telling me when we first opened we opened what like at september october end of september i think last year so we haven't been open for very long but we had people coming in and as they were leaving they would say god like i didn't feel like i was in san francisco i don't know where i felt like i was but just like this like really kind of unique vibe and then i ate there probably for the first time i actually sat down was in like january february and I faced away from the kitchen, of course. I didn't want to see anything that was going on. And uh, it totally did. I don't know where I felt like I was. There was something about the pace of the experience mm-hmm. and the space that uh, I, I think that she's she just managed to bring a little bit of her culture. And it's not, you know, it's it's not like so unique or so different that you're like where am i what's going on it just it just feels really special and um i think that the way that we hired this was something that gabriella and emma emma rosenbush she's a she's the gm uh they wanted to hire kind of um basically out of the probation department or you know through delancey street we had like really amazing collaboration with with both of those those organizations in san francisco to hire a lot of um people who've been through the system and uh 
it's been incredible kind of training and and getting into all that certainly wine training with people that are you know potentially addicts or potentially you know still you know most of them still on probation and can't actually drink so and never had really drank fine wine or anything like that before right and with a list that i created that is super obscure (laughs) you know you taught me that (laughs) no we're not gonna have pinot grigio on the list I don't even have Pinot Noir on the list. I don't have Sauvignon Blanc. You're in California and you don't have a a Pinot Noir on the list? No. (laughs) Wow. So how did, how do you go about approaching creating this list and and how did that happen? Well, I really wanted to have a wine list that supported the food. Gabriela's food is just incredible and so bright and fresh. So, um, I wanted to source wines from, from places where seafood, it's all seafood. You know, people say it's a Mexican restaurant, but I say it's a seafood restaurant. It's all seafood. And yes, there's a Mexican focus, but, um, I wanted to source wine from places that, you know, where people eat seafood and, you know, have for millennia, not millennia, decades and decades, whatever you would say, have been drinking these wines with, with, with seafood. So, you know, Liguria, um, Canary Islands, like very coastal Mediterranean island. And, you know, there is, I have a few California wines I think kind of fit that mold or that I just think I'm not dogmatic about it. If I think it'll go with the food, it'll go on. But it's also a very small list, almost everything open by the glass and by the craft because I want people, because it's obscure, I want people to be able to to taste it. Interesting. What have some of your discoveries been during putting this list together? I I imagine you had to do some research and some extra tasting to go with it. Is there something that you're like super excited about? Um, I mean, I I think that the the wines from the Canary Islands and from Corsica are probably some of my favorites. You get this amazing kind of... They don't call it garrigue in in Corsica, but it's this sort of similar similar element of like a floral herbaceous quality in the wines that that I really like. Um, I've been you know kind of drinking a lot of I, like I'm looking for wines that are salty, like mm-hmm. I like a salinity, especially in rosés. Uh, Los Bermejos from from the Canary Islands does a really an interesting, super salty rosé, um, but also all the rosés are coming out from our California producers right now. So, you know, Scribes Rosé is killer. Delicious. One of the best rosés out there. I tasted it yesterday. It's, so, it's always so it's good. It's great. I know. It's always so good. Their Verity did a uh, rosé-only tasting. Nice. And the Scribe was delicious. Nice. Yeah. Matthiasen's Rosé is killer. Um, tribute to Grace. I love that one. Oh, so it's, yeah. it's really, it's certainly hard to choose when you're trying to keep it like a super I limited California's list. California's really like stepped up the rosé game. Oh my God. Red car. You have really to. Like. Yeah, you have to make a rosé now, it feels like. But I don't know. California stepped up the game like entirely. I remember, you know, I grew up in California and I never really liked the wines there. And then, you know, started getting into Italian wines and working at Delanima. And then I think I think the first California wine I had that kind of reminded me or me, you know, for the first time I realized that there was good stuff coming out there was the Arna Roberts Trousseau which blew my mind the first time I had that. And they do a rosé, too, that's killer. So, oh, yeah, with Portuguese grapes. Trigo Nacional, yeah. I think there might be other stuff blended in there now. That is, but, that's totally just... How, how have the guests at Cala received this list that has not such recognizable things? Is it similar to your time, you know, all those years ago with us, where people are like, why don't you have Pinot Grigio? Or have they been more open-minded? I think, you know, a lot of people... They, San Francisco, I think people 
do want to feel like they know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So I do that. There's this little bit like, I don't recognize anything on here. And it's like, that's okay. You know, like that's fine. What I've done with the training, because you know, it's hard to like give them like all of this knowledge. Basically what I've been equipping them with is like, if someone asks you for a Pinot Grigio, you recommend this. If someone asks you for a Pinot Noir, follow up with like, okay, what kind of a Pinot Noir do you want? Do you want it to be an old world Pinot, new world Pinot? Because we have these kind of two options for you. And then if they still can't decide, then pour them a taste of them. Show them something, you know, new and different. So, yeah. That's some next level stuff because that, that doesn't happen in most restaurants where, you know, if, if someone asks for something like a Pinot Noir, either they'll have the Pinot Noir and make it easy for the server or they're like, all right, you'll like this. But mm-hmm. going that next level and actually trying to understand, well, what kind of, you know, do you like... Napa Pinot Noir? Do you yeah. like Burgundy? Do you like Oregon? Do you like yeah. full-bodied, earthy ones? And that that sort of thing. And then choosing the wines based on that, that's some really totally. great level of training. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's um, it's been super helpful for them. And, you know, just the ability for the service to be able to pour it. Like, I'm, I'm like, go, pour a taste. You know, it's not like, I feel like a lot of restaurants, people are like, no, you know, like not watching their costs, but like people love to just, they feel so taken care of when you bring over like three bottles of wine. You're like, let's try all these. And they're yeah. like, what? We get to do a tasting right now. Let's they have love some it. Fun. Yeah. So how do you work with the restaurants that you kind of consult with? Mm, I, um, I, I, I kind of have like different relationships with, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's only two right now, so it's not that overwhelming. I think a lot of consultants try to do a million things and get kind of overwhelmed. I feel like I can, you know, contribute a lot to the, the restaurants I work with right now. Um, I'm on the floor at Kala two nights a week and then at Molina, I am on the floor really like one night a week. That's a little bit more flexible situation. Um, but the, the list of Molina is really fun too. That one's much more California focused. It's fun having two completely different lists to play with. Yes. So it's really cool. Yeah. Molina is in Mill Valley. So it's kind of a small, it's just North of North of the golden gate, beautiful area. And, uh, a lot of, you know, it's, it's an interesting scene there. And I think people, people kind of know what they want. You know, you're kind of getting closer to wine country. I have a lot of California wines. It's not as hard to, for people to just like find what they want. So having an on floor Psalm is not that necessary. It's also a tiny, tiny restaurant. It's basically run by the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Do you find that people there go to wine country frequently, know which wineries they like, uh, have a, a lot more familiarity, or do you feel like you, it's still a lot of training and selling, you know, even to the guests? No, it's like, it's so easy. People know what they want. And it's, it's easy in a frustrating way too, because they're sort of like stuck in their ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people have their own sellers, so they're bringing their own bottles in. And so it's a lot of, you know, a lot of corkage. They're like trying to put together this awesome list and yet people still just, you know, they want to drink the wine that they've been cellaring, which I understand completely. But I don't know. It would be nice. I would really like for people to get a more regular system of bringing a bottle and buying a bottle. I think that that's like a nice thing yes, to do. Yes, that is a nice thing. Because usually restaurants will wave the, you know, we'll always wave the corkage if you, if you buy, buy a, a bottle. bottle. For sure. Try something off the list, you know? Yeah. Even if you're unfamiliar. I think that I, I like when restaurants do that. I, I don't always bring, I don't frequently bring wine, but if I do, I'll also try to buy a bottle because yeah. I feel like it's the right thing to do. I think it is too. I don't, and I don't, I don't, but I don't think people think about that. I don't, you know, Yeah. I don't, it's, and it's totally fine. If you bring your own bottle, just let the, let the server try at, it. I was at dinner with <laughs> friends who are not in the industry the other night. And they were like, if you're at a place where you bring a bottle of wine, do you tip on the bottle of wine that you bring? And that oh, was, and that they were or like, the bottle of wine that you didn't buy but should have? I like. What, how do I was you? like, you should. If you're bringing wine, I was like, you should definitely 
tip more than you normally would, would because have. that's not on the check, right? Yeah. And then they're like, well, what if you were... So they had this <laughs> theoretical. Like, what if you brought a... So say your, your check would have been $100 uh, without the wine, and you brought a wine that would have been on the list for $200. Right. Do you tip based on what that wine would have cost on their list? <laughs> it's too complicated. Too complicated. Well, that's another interesting conversation is this idea. Because Kala is, uh, there's no tip line. You can't leave what you want. I mean, you, you know, you could, I suppose, leave leave cash if you wanted to. But it's it's all it's all service included. So kind of takes your takes all of that off of off of the guests you no longer have to think about that oh wow um, okay well, I, we actually need to take a quick break but i want to find out more about the service included uh right after this Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. All right, we're back on In the Drink with Lauren Feldman, my close personal friend, one of the people I think most highly of in the world. Making me blush. It's true. <laughs> you are the absolute, absolute best. Wow. I think so. Wow. I hope that one day we can work work together again. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and so before we left, we were talking about the uh, the no tipping policy over at, at Kala, which is something that is slowly making its way into the New York dining scene. Yeah, Union Square Hospitality Group, did they? Yes, I guess that's, I mean, that's pretty major, right? That's but, huge, I mean... Other restaurants are slowly kind of adopting it as well. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it will never work until more restaurants do, mm-hmm. because servers servers can make more from getting tipped, you know? Servers can make a ton by getting tipped, and I think that that's important. But I also think that, um, you know, being able to kind of divide, divide that service charge in a well-run restaurant to divide that, divide that service charge amongst back of house, front of house, you know, make sure everyone's getting any, a somewhat more equal share, if not a completely equal share. It's, uh, or finding, finding different ways to distribute it and not just having it be because you're on the floor and you're in the kitchen. It doesn't really make a ton of sense. I agree. And a lot of times people in the kitchen have more kind of particular skills, mm-hmm. right? You know, that there's, a, I think our servers are highly, highly skilled, hardworking individuals, but uh, to work in the kitchen, you, they, these are skills that you have to really develop over many, many years. Mm-hmm. And those, they're, they're not rewarded as they should be. No. How, how have the guests been uh, 
receiving this? I mean, I think probably at, at Kali, you guys have, you know, you're, you're, you've had so much attention at this point. You're so well-known. You guys are doing such great work that people are coming anyway. But are, are people, how are they reacting to it? Well, it's interesting. You know, we talk, we've talked about it. There's been a little press about it. It's on the menu. It says it on the bottom of the menu. And then people still get the bill. And there's, you know, they, they, want, they want an explanation. They just want to know. And a lot of times it's because they see, you know, they get their credit card copy, they go to sign it and they don't have a tip line and they're completely weirded out by it. It's not necessarily because they see the service charge on the bill and that's when they ask. It's like, because they can't, it's not an option to leave more. So it's not, I think it's kind of in the opposite direction. I've had the people that I've had be the most kind of angry about it are people that like wanted to leave more. Right. And I'm like, well, you can, but they, you know, like not having that option, like, like you're taking away their control sort of. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting and weird thing where people like feel like in the dining, you know, relationship and that experience, they have to like be able to immediately rate it and mm-hmm. give it and do that with money. Yeah, right? I think, yeah, it does sort of take away this this ability to be like, well, yeah, yeah, you get to decide how your experience was. We're sort of saying like you just had like our that was our experience. And- right. Can you imagine like if you were to go to a play or a movie or a museum and like at the end of it, you're like, Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't so good. I'm going to give, you know, yeah. the, the actors here like five bucks yeah. or that was awesome. Let me give the actors $20. This is the value <laughs> of, of what you just provided me it, as it, far as I, I'm concerned in some way. It like, for me, it, it, it takes away from like, like now you're like analyzing, Oh, how was that? Mm-hmm. And now I have to do math and I don't like doing math. <laughs> I don't like anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's interesting, but I think that it's working, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a challenge as far as, you know, like servers being used to making whatever they make and if they can always go somewhere else and get tipped out and you know walk with cash and all that stuff it's it's gonna be it's it's always gonna be a challenge to to make it work so your point before like when enough good restaurants Mm -hmm. start doing it then that's yes the tipping point that's what will happen but i can i can argue it day long pros and cons of of all of it but i'm just i it was one of the real big reasons i want to be involved with kala was to to learn it Mm -hmm. to be able to speak about it and, and, and go forward knowing what I would want to do. Well, I still that, don't really one of the know, great but... thing. Another one of the great things about you, you're constantly learning and having all these great new experiences. You have so much great, <laughs> uh, uh, perspective on so many things. I want to go back to, this is in the drink, but I want to talk about your perspective on the California wine industry and maybe some stuff that we don't necessarily know about or hear about over here. Are there, are there wineries that, that you're super excited about you'd like to tell us about? Well, well, I think there's there is some like really interesting stuff, you know, happening. I think that my my favorite favorite I shouldn't say favorite. I really love what's happening with the Living Wines Collective. This is a, a crew of four of my good friends, but they are all kind of excellent winemakers doing their own stuff. There's Martha Stuman. She's got her her first label was called Ama, but now it's going to be called Alicia. I hope that's the name. But she worked with Giusto Pinti, and so she's you know doing Sicilian grape varieties from kind of the same the same vineyard um the Idlewild sources some of their t- it's it, Fox Hill Vineyard they grow a bunch of interesting Italian grape varieties so mm-hmm. she gets her Nero Avila from there and she's also they're they're starting to grow some Chardonnay they're kind of trying to like lease their own vineyards and farm it and I went to go I pruned with them two weekends in a row and got to like learn that stuff so they're just really involved top to bottom um yeah so it's 
it's a that's a pretty cool thing there's uh they also have populous and then they make le lune so there's um there's some cool stuff coming out of this this really interesting collective these is basically i'm impressed by these ways that kind of young winemakers are f- just figuring out how to do it because it's yeah. such an expensive place to live and such a ridiculous industry to get into so how does that collective work what is, what is it i think they're just they're like making wine and like like Shant's parents' house or something right. like that. They're sharing space. Yeah, sharing yeah. They have they have like a the, this like big like basement space where they all have their equipment. And yeah, they kind of all have like funded it together and are making wine together. But then they all have like day jobs that they you know they're during harvest they're just like, working all the time. So um, and it's it's really new for for all of them. I think Last Vintage was their first. So you know they've got a lot of like new things happening. But uh, but to be able to to be making their own wine is just you know at such a young age it it, it never really was the case right and there's a, you know all if the it's in Napa and Sonoma the land is just so so expensive it's so expensive you the fruit like, is becoming so expensive even to buy fruit is expensive mm-hmm. yeah I mean you can go if you go far enough out you can you can really find some good stuff but uh, like there you know there's a lot of stuff from the Sierra foothills mm-hmm. that's I think around the area where they're doing their their Chardonnay. Um, people are kind of going back to Lodi for, for fruit. So, I mean, not that anyone ever left Lodi for fruit, but, (laughs) um, and then, you know, kind of getting more extreme Mendocino coastal areas. This has been going on for a little while, right? Mm -hmm. There's some very high quality producers like Ant Hill Farms. Mm -hmm. They didn't have, they didn't own any of their land. Yeah. And they're, they're working with either like purchased fruit or shared equipment space and making world-class wines. Yeah. And they, yeah, they are like still pretty stoked on the setup that they have, I think. And, you know, they've been, they've been just killing it with that. So, um, but yeah, they all, you know, that's three, three friends basically that all had their day jobs as well. So, you know, these winemakers just have to kind of work all the time in order to, to make ends meet and make, make it work. But it's, it's also, you know, it's not the worst job in the world. It's their passion. Right. And for most of these people, do you think that it is like the plan is to eventually transition, uh, or, or will this be like the, the new thing where people have a day job and they make wine, uh, in whatever their spare time is. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. I mean, mm-hmm. we could get into a much bigger conversation about California and how anyone's going to be able to, to make it. It's a similar conversation to New York, to too, New York, but yeah. I think everyone just has to work Rents are millions, crazy millions of jobs in order to, to make it all happen. So hopefully it'll change, but I don't see it changing anytime soon. So for now, we just all have to have to bust it all right so living wine collective mm-hmm. um and then what other what other wines are, are you excited about what areas of california is it still all about like the far sonoma coast in santa barbara are there new areas that you're you're super excited about i mean i think this altitude thing is is mm. pretty interesting kind of getting sourcing from from higher altitudes i mean i know that there's a a vineyard love vineyard that that brock's brock gets some fruit from chris brockway um that's like close to yosemite so you know we're kind of moving a little farther from the coast there's certainly still some really coastal stuff but um yeah altitude i think is the the kind of new that's the new thing that people are talking about (laughs) you know i think if there's anyone to talk to about it it's yeah it's you you're talking with winemakers more frequently than you know than than i am yeah well yeah i think that that winemakers are always kind of trying to push the bounds of of what they can do and it's cool you know there's a lot of like collaborations happening winemakers working together winemakers like sourcing something unique and different doing some gruner doing some gamay you know 
just trying the experimentation. I mean, that's like, that's the most exciting thing I think that's happening right now. There's no rules. Right. There never has been rules in California, thank goodness, but people are really embracing that but now. But for a long time, there's been this move towards fewer and fewer grapes and yeah. Chardonnay and Cabernet being, you know, totally. king. And now it's right in the 70s, they, that wasn't the case. There were tons of different grapes. Mm-hmm. And then it's contracted and now it's expanding again. Yeah. And I guess the other thing that's really happening is people wanting to, people like thinking, okay, well, like I don't think there's any Catacante being grown in California yet. Like someone is going to go and get some and plant a vineyard and, you know, like, you know, that's, like, that's the thing. People trying to do like this suitcase, <laughs> throw, some, throw cool. some cuttings yeah. in a suitcase and bring them back and, you know, it's as, risky. as illegal that, as it is. Yeah. It's risky <laughs> on like a le- legality and, yeah. uh, you know, it takes a while. It's like a big investment. It's a it big investment. A yeah. Cause it's not like they're like, just like then, you know, they have to do the virus thing and you know propagate and everything like that it's a yeah huge investment but i do think that people are super excited about getting grape varieties into california that that aren't there yet which is crazy to think that there's that many that aren't but it's so true that's true especially especially out of italy Mm -hmm. there's so many all right lauren it is uh is there one thing you want to leave us on is there what are you working on next or where where can we find you what nights are you at kala tell us about like how we can interact with you more (laughs) well (laughs) i'm at kala on friday and saturday nights so yeah definitely come in pour you some fun weird stuff um yeah you can find me at molina too usually on like mondays or wednesdays Mm -hmm. and then um i i don't know all right well (laughs) i think that's uh, you guys head out to i I head out to san francisco and say hi say hi to lauren uh you will you will thank me for that all right lauren thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show uh i do want to thank everyone over at heritage aaron fairbanks allison uh david our new engineer you are you're awesome Um, it's really great working with you thank you so much um and thanks to all of you for listening this has been in the drink on heritageradionetwork.org Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.